let's keep going here in our series. We're calling it A Matter of the Heart, and so we're in part two. Basically, last week what we talked about is making sure that we have soft hearts. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord by a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so when we repent, when we turn back to God or we reconsider our lives and decide we want to uh, we want to go the right direction by grabbing hold of the eternal significant things, then we come to the Lord and we've got our hearts are soft and we're able to hear from God and we're able to walk forward with God. So that's basically what we talked about last week. Going through the harshness of this life can lead to anger and a hardened heart. And we don't want that. We want to have soft hearts that can hear from God and walk in his ways. And this week, the sermon title is Shrewd, Innocent, Childlike Faith. So we don't want to have hard hearts. We want to have soft hearts. We don't want to be stiff-necked, angry, you know, like you can't tell me anything kind of people. We want to be soft-hearted towards God and hear from God and be able to yield to God. But isn't having a hard heart the only way to safely navigate this harsh world? I mean, that plays well in church. You know, let's have soft hearts. But then you go out into reality and you're just going to get beat up. I mean, we're walking down a road here. So let's let's walk down that. Now, I grew up with toughness as a virtue. You know what I mean? Like that was important. You had to be tough. You didn't just crumble. You know, you didn't go, oh, I, 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 I'm in pain. I'm going to stop. No, you, you're in pain. You don't show it. You know, like it, it was just part of the deal. Toughness as a virtue. And I still believe that in the right ways. I believe toughness is a virtue, but it has to be harnessed properly. You know, you can go into a place of hard heartedness. That's not necessarily toughness, but you got to be able to persevere. You got to be able to fight. You got to be tough, but you got to be soft hearted too. Hardness of heart can be a helpful coping mechanism for a while. I watched a uh, video about Sonny Liston, the heavyweight champion that was dethroned by Muhammad Ali when he first won the heavyweight boxing championship. So uh, Sonny Liston had a horrible life. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. He was one of 20-some kids, and his dad was just terrible. Uh, they don't even know what his birthday is. They, they didn't write down when he was born. He's just one of the kids. He was worked super hard and beat by his dad. He had scars his whole life from the beatings he took as a child. Then he got into boxing, and he was just mean and, and able to beat other people because he'd just been through a lot, and he knew how to fight. He was illiterate. You know, he got jobs with like the mob hurting people so that they would pay or, you know, like he was that guy. And then he became heavyweight champion of the world. Nobody liked him because they saw him as evil and he wanted recognition and, you know, like, Hey, I did a good thing here. Didn't get that. Ended up dying of a drug overdose shortly after he was dethroned as heavyweight champion. He went back into the mob life and then some people think he was murdered. All this. But it's just a tragic, tragic story. But guess what? If he hadn't learned how to fight, he'd have been dead as a kid. So how do you navigate that? How do you walk through that? Because the goal for sure in serving Jesus isn't to be naive and weak. We don't want to be naive and weak. Soft-hearted doesn't mean naive and weak. That's not what we're going for because Jesus wasn't naive and weak, right? 
He knew what was going on and he had the strength to walk through the hardships. Jesus wasn't naive and weak. So that's not what soft hearted is. But Jesus, even though he was aware and strong, he still had a soft heart. So how do we grab hold of this? I want to look at two things Jesus had to say, one from Mark chapter 10 and the other from Matthew chapter 10. And so these are important and somewhat iconic teachings of Jesus. Let's go to Mark 10. We'll read 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So in Christian circles, you hear about having a childlike faith. That just means that you trust Jesus like you're four years old and it's your dad and he's taking you uh, into town and you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to go do something fun because you're with your dad and he's going to take care of it. You got a childlike faith. You know, you're sitting in the car, you're riding somewhere. This is going to be good. I'm with my dad. A childlike faith in who Jesus is, a childlike faith in Almighty God. We're called to have a childlike faith. Let's go to Matthew 10, 16. Is it possible to stay childlike your whole life? We're also called to grow up, but we're called to maintain that childlike faith. Just one verse here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus is sending out his followers to go do ministry. And so, you know, that's a minefield. So he tells them this in verse 16, chapter 10 of Matthew. It says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What a packed verse. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So being thrown to the wolves is literally a ministry philosophy of Jesus. <laughs> He takes his followers like, hey, I'm throwing you to the wolves. Be as shrewd as snakes. Be as wise as serpents, as it says in the King James. You're going to have to be smart because you're being thrown to the wolves. But be careful. You need to stay innocent. Be as innocent as doves as well. So Jesus calls people to have a childlike faith. That very well fits the soft-hearted idea that we're talking about. It's a matter of the heart. We want to have a right heart when we navigate this world. A childlike faith, that's a soft heart. That's a trusting heart. That's a good heart. You know, that's a beautiful place to be. But Jesus also called his followers to be shrewd as snakes while continuing to be innocent as doves. So what are we getting at here? We're looking for a shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. Jesus is calling his followers to be shrewd. What does that mean? Well, I looked up the Greek word. I can't say it, but it's an interesting word because in the King James, uh, it's translated wise. In the NIV, it's translated shrewd. And in other places, it's, it's translated some different ways. And it carries on a meaning that is like, be aware of what's going on so you can kind of protect yourself. That's what shrewd as snakes, wise as serpents. It means that you're aware of what's going on 
and you're cautious enough to make sure that you're going to be okay. That's a part of what that word in the Greek means that's translated in the NIV as shrewd, in the King James as wise. That's a flavor of it. So what Jesus is saying is there is danger. So pay attention and be smart, be aware and protect yourself. Be shrewd as a snake, be aware, see the evil, see the danger, understand what's going on and make sure that you stay safe. Be as wise as the serpents, shrewd as snakes, but don't lose your innocence in the process. Isn't there a challenge there? Let's go to Romans 12, 21. I think this is the goal. Romans 12, 21 is the goal because I think you're a believer or not. You're like a sheep among wolves. You know what I mean? Like it is, you don't get to pick whether or not this world is a evil, dark place to live. It just is. And uh, if you're a believer in Jesus, it is. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, it still is. Uh, so I, I want you to know Jesus and have a shield of faith that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, you know, because we want to walk through this life with some help. But here's the goal. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the goal. This to me is how we can grab hold of shrewd, innocent, childlike faith is, are we going to be overcome by evil and then respond to it in a particular way? Or are we going to overcome evil with good? That's how we can be shrewd, innocent, and still have a childlike faith an awareness, not darkened, trusting God. So let's read the context here. I want to go through Romans 12, 9 through 21. Some wonderful verses in here. We'll look at a couple of them in a little bit bigger detail, but here we go. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's talk about the heaping burning coals, because there's a great opportunity to misunderstand what the scriptures has to say. What does it mean to heap burning coals on someone's head? That's not very nice, is it? If you're going to heap burning coals on someone's head. So what are we talking about? Now, this is written in a Jewish context. This is written with the Old Testament as part of their understanding and the Jewish culture as part of their understanding. And one of the things that happened in Jewish culture was there were all kinds of different symbolisms. And one of the symbolisms was the refining power of fire. 
And that was something that they noticed that with gold, you know, you refine it with fire, you heat it up, you burn off all of the impurities and you get the slag on top, you knock it off. Now you have your refined, your pure gold. And that idea became something that they associated with the individual. You've got impurities in you. You've got things wrong in you. Then fire is a cleansing agent. It's something that refines. And this was something that they took into their culture. How I understand it, you could do some Google searching on this and let me know in the comments how, what you found. But they had some sort of a headdress that they would wear when they realized, you know, I did the wrong thing. I need to be refined. I need to be cleansed. I need to have the yuck brought out of me. Then they would wear this symbolic headdress and they would put coals in it, symbolizing the fire that refined, the fire that brought out the impurities and left that refined, pure gold or that person who is now refined and pure and the the evil has been brought out of them. And so heaping burning coals doesn't mean, aha, we're torturing our enemies. <laughs> that's not what that's talking about. It's about bringing them to a place of realizing their fault. So they go, oh man, yeah, I'm sorry that I was wrong on that. That's what heaping burning coals is talking about. I do have a fun childhood story that maybe I'll share uh, with regards to that. So one time when I was a kid, I was on the track team. I was a wrestler, so I cared about wrestling. I could run fast, so I was on the track team, but I didn't really care about track. You know, I just sort of showed up. It wasn't something that was in my heart. You know, I'm like, we're going to win this track meet. You know, that didn't matter. We're going to win this wrestling meet. That mattered to me. So now it's track season, whatever, running around. We went to this important track meet and there was a guy on an opposing team that we had a rivalry with that I didn't really know about because I didn't care. And he, uh, when we were out milling around, getting ready for different events and stuff like that, crossed paths with him and he said something mean to me. And I was also a little socially slow, you know, like, eh. And so I didn't notice that he said a snarky comment. I just thought he was making some regular comment. So I said something nice to him. Like, yeah, it sure is a nice day. I hope you have a good day today. And he returned another snarky comment, which I also did not get. So I said something nice again to him, you know, like, what races do you run? Then the third thing he said was something nice. I, you know, something like, oh, you know, I do this. What are you running? You know, I hope your day goes well too. He said something nice to me. I don't remember what it was. And then uh, then we were kind of friends for the day. We hung out, you know, and we'd see each other. We ran a few events together and stuff like that. And, and we're sort of like friends for the day. And then on the bus ride home, you know, I'm thinking through the day and, and I'm like, wait a minute, he was being mean to me. You know, he was saying something snarky. And then I realized, like, if I would have responded in the socially appropriate way of like, oh, yeah, you guys stink, you know, something like that, then we'd have been rivals for the day. We would have been people who were like, ugh. But instead, we were friends for the day. And that's what this is talking about in, you know, just a super simplistic childhood kind of way. Just don't return evil for evil, but return good. And then eventually, hopefully, you know, as far as it depends on you, Eventually, maybe that person will turn and realize, you know what? That person's not so bad. They're not so terrible. You know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have treated you like that. That's what this is talking about, the heaping burning coals. It's turning somebody from an enemy into someone who realizes they've done you wrong, and then you build a relationship from there. So that's what that's talking about. So 
Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good is something that I take as a promise. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To me, if that's in the scriptures in the form of a command, then it means it's possible. It is possible to not be overcome by evil in this life. It is possible to go through the harshness and the evil of this world and to not become hard-hearted, to not be darkened, to not become jaded, but instead to be able to overcome evil with good. This is a promise. You don't need to be overcome, but you can be an overcomer. Don't believe the lie that because of the hardships that you've experienced that now you have to be a victim. Now you have to be jaded. Now you have to be hard-hearted. No, you can overcome that evil with good. Let's look at two life processes way oversimplified, two progressions people can go through. Because I don't see a whole lot of jaded, hard-hearted three-year-olds. You know, I mean, I suppose it's possible, but wow, they're growing up in an evil environment if they are. You know, most of the time when you're a little kid, little kids are happy. They they want to laugh. They want to see something funny. They want to run. They want to do fun things. They want to play. They're little kids. Everybody starts out like that, you know, and then you hit harsh reality. So one of the progressions is childhood joy and excitement hits harsh reality and the person becomes jaded and cruel and joins with the harsh reality to be part of it. The other way oversimplified life progression is childhood joy and excitement (laughs) hits harsh reality because that happens to everyone. It's harsh reality. And then the person says that's not okay and tries to become part of the solution rather than part of the problem, tries to overcome evil with good. It's not okay that this happens to kids. It's not okay that these injustices are going on. It's not okay that people have these disadvantages and they can't dig themselves out of the hole. It's not okay, so I'm going to be part of solving the problem. So those are two way oversimplified life progressions. Start off as an innocent little kid, loving life. It all gets ruined and destroyed. And then you either be part of the darkness or you try to overcome that and be part of the solution. So many of the verses in Romans chapter 12 actually can indicate those tipping points between going into the jaded, angry, dark place or into the, you know what, let's try to solve this problem here. Verse 14 that we read, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So you're always going to be in a situation where somebody unfairly targets you, somebody wants to hurt you. Can you bless and not curse? If you're able to follow this verse, if you're able to bless the person who persecutes you, then you're going to end up with a different heart condition than the person who curses that person. They're going to tip in that dark direction. The one who blesses is going to tip towards being part of the solution. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That might seem kind of straightforward, but here's the deal. Too often, people are jealous of those who rejoice. Oh, you know, how do you rate? Or, you know, these sorts of things. They're jealous rather than being happy for them. Mourn with those who mourn rather than blaming them or gloating, you know? (laughs) Yeah, finally, now you're realizing what life is really like. You know, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who who rejoice. This can indicate a tipping point in that heart situation. And then verse, this is verse 17 and verse 19. Let's look at verse 
19, the first part of it. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So all of us have been wronged. Are we going to take it into our own hands and take revenge ourselves, or are we going to release it to God? That's the question. Are we going to release it or take revenge? You know, there's all kinds of different directions that this can go. There's so many sidetracks on the road to having a shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. And a big one is returning evil for evil. You know, Jesus had lots of evil come on him. He did not return evil for evil. He was wise. He was innocent. And he returned good for evil. And that's what he calls us to do. One of the sidetracks on the road to having shrewd, innocent, childlike faith is returning evil for evil. Then we end up joining with the problem rather than becoming part of the solution. There's other ways that, you know, roadblocks or these uh, sidetracks, these things that can get us off of the path of getting to the place of having a shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. There's the returning evil for evil, becoming part of the problem. I think another one is believing things that aren't true, believing lies and and yielding to those lies that can get us off track. You know, a lot of times you start doing evil because you're believing a lie, not something that's true, and you don't want to be doing that. Another one that can get us off track is when we disengage, you know, like, wow, that's no fun. And so we disengage our life with God. We let it go. That's not it. We don't want to be about that. So there's these different, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other sidetracks, roadblocks, trying to get to a place of having a shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. But what are the markers that are on the right road? You know, if we're going the right direction, if we're making progress with this, what does that look like? What does it mean to get to that spot? I want to go to 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. To me, this is one of the most significant sections of scripture with regards to the progression that we have in our faith through this life. I've done eight weeks on these verses and bring it up periodically, but let's look at these verses and see if we're going down the right road because we don't want to end up part of the problem. We don't want to end up just overcome by evil. We want to overcome evil with good. What does it mean to walk down that road? What are some of the road markers and some of the things that we might see along that road? Here we go. There's eight of them here. Second Peter chapter one, five through nine says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection and mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So verse nine, one of the keys to having a soft heart and walking in the ways of God is realizing that you're not perfect, that you aren't the only innocent victim in this world, but that you've done some stuff wrong too, and that forgiveness is something you need. So don't forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins. 
realize humbly that God's forgiveness is something that you cherish and that you don't want to forget about. So you don't want to forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins because that's a place for becoming nearsighted and blind. You only see the things right in front of you and you can't have a bigger picture. So you're just unaware of these things. And we don't want to be believers in God who are nearsighted and blind and have forgotten that we don't deserve all of this. It's the grace and mercy and kindness of God. So what ground do I have to stand on to be all defiant? And I have nothing. Don't forget you've been cleansed from your past sins. This will, when we do these eight things, we will be effective and productive. What are these eight things again? Let's just look at this. It starts with faith. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith starts with faith. That's faith in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross to free mankind from their sins. Each individual free from sin to be able to have new life in this life and everlasting life with God. That's your faith. Add to your faith goodness. Goodness literally translated there would be manliness. And what it means is have the strength to do the right thing. Now you got some faith. Okay. You're, you're trusting in God. Have the strength to do the right thing. Put some things into practice here. So you've got faith. Now you're putting this into practice. For example, you might try to put into practice what we read in Romans 12, 19, to not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, to release it to God. Somebody did something to you, you're going to have the strength to release it. Lord, I'm letting that go. You deal with them. You're super good at that. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive what is owed to me. I know that that doesn't fix them with you. So you deal with them and you let it go. Have the strength to do the right thing. It's time to come up for prayer. It's time to start volunteering, whatever it is. Have the strength to do the right thing. So add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. Then you'll start to learn some things. You know, there's that famous verse. People don't realize it's Jesus, but the truth will set you free. You know, Jesus said that. But what he said is, if you hold to my teachings, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you got some faith and then you start putting some of the things of God into practice in your life, then you're going to learn how this actually goes. You'll find out what happens when you release things to God instead of taking revenge yourself. You'll start to know what walking in the ways of God brings in your life. So faith to goodness to knowledge. And then now you got something to protect. So self-control, self-control is like goodness, which is the strength to do the right thing. Self-control is the strength to not do the wrong thing. This is something that's on the road of growing and maturing and getting to that place of having the shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. That's where you don't ruin your life anymore. You're starting to build your relationship with your spouse. You got something good going on now. Don't ruin it. Don't you know, have the strength to not do the wrong thing. That's some self-control. Your business is starting to take off. Good things are happening. Don't sabotage it. Have the strength to not do the wrong thing. You're starting to make progress in life. Don't sabotage your life. Have the strength to not do the wrong thing. So add to your faith, the strength to do the right thing. And then you're going to learn some stuff. Now quit doing the wrong things. You got something to protect. Don't let it fall apart. And then perseverance. So we've got to continue on because guess what? Life is short. 
but man, it can get to be where it's starting to last longer than you thought. Like you're having to persevere in difficult situations, difficult circumstances longer than you thought. Has COVID gone on longer than you wanted? You know, you got to persevere in it. You got to continue on. Don't just let your heart get hardened because it's been a long time and you want to go pout in your room. You got to persevere in faith. You got to persevere doing the right thing. You got to persevere in learning and putting two and two together and not doing the wrong thing. Now you continue on. So that's perseverance and add the perseverance, godliness. This is the inner character. Now you're starting to develop, not just trying to do the right thing, but there's things growing inside of you, but you're becoming someone greater. You're getting more wisdom. You're getting more understanding. You're getting into that shrewd place where you're aware and you're able to protect yourself. You, you know what's going on. You've got that deeper character. That's the godliness. Add to godliness, this mutual affection in this version. It's the phileo, brotherly love is Philadelphia. You know, that word there, mutual affection here. And basically what that means is you get to the place where you can love people who are like you. You can love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, add your faith, strength to do the right thing. Then you're going to learn some stuff. Now don't sabotage your life and keep at it. You're building character and that inner strength, which is godliness. Now you can love people properly, people like you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and add to that mutual affection, love. This is the agape, the God kind of love. This is the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us when we are rejecting him. This is where you can love people who don't like you. This is where you can love your enemies, where you can bless those who persecute you. That's level eight. Eight, all the way up there, you know, these are the road markers, how we get to that place of having that shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. Dig into those verses because that's just fantastic stuff. It's a great place to look. And as we finish up here today, I want to go back to Matthew 10, 16. You know, Matthew 10, 16, just a great verse. I think it can set you free to realize that, you know, you're not just called to be a victim. This isn't the reality you're called to be shrewd. Again, 1016 of Matthew, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. There's going to be some hardships. There's going to be some dangers. It's going to be tough. Sheep are not equipped to conquer the wolves. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. King James, wise as serpents. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Let's grab hold of this. It's easy to be shrewd as a snake, but dark-hearted, not innocent. We want to be aware. We want to know the darkness of this world so that we can protect ourselves from it. Not naive and foolish and weak and pathetic. That's not soft, soft-hearted. That's not what we're going for. We want to be wise, aware, protected, and innocent. Shrewd as snakes, and innocent as doves. What if every Christian just was that? Shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Aware, smart, protected, cautious, but innocent. Innocent as a dove, sharing the goodness and love of God. I encourage you to seek that out. I also want to tell you one more thing, and that is that the safest place in this world is when you're trusting in Jesus, because nobody gets out of this thing alive. <laughs> you know, the reality is, is that unless Jesus returns, which he might 
in our lifetime, but you better be prepared for them not to. One of my kids thinks we're about 10 years away. I don't know. I've quit thinking about that. I'm just going to be ready. Jesus might come. Wouldn't that be something? That would be something. But none of us, unless Jesus comes, are getting out of this thing alive. That means we need to be prepared for this body to fail, for our lives to end. And there's nothing that can protect us from that except faith in Jesus. Because then we get to be part of the resurrection. We get to be part of everlasting life. We are safe in the arms of Jesus and we are brought into our heavenly dwelling. That's where true safety comes from. When you know that this life can be taken, but you have everlasting life with God, that is the safest place you can be. So let's make sure that we're there. Make sure that you're right with God. And then let's make sure our hearts are soft, shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves with a childlike faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love and your kindness. Lord, I pray for those who who are afraid of losing things in this life. Lord, the safest place is faith in you. Because then if this life and everything we have is taken, we still have everlasting life. We still have the eternal life that you give us. And they can't take that. No one can take that. And so, Lord, thank you. I pray, Lord, for those who are like, how do I get that? It's very, very simple. You just come to Jesus and you say, hey, I don't know that I've done everything right. Please forgive me of my sins and make me able to be part of your kingdom. I'll walk with you. I'll learn your ways. I want to be part of what you're about. Help me to, to learn who you are and how to walk with you. And then you live that out and you receive everlasting life. And Father, for those who are following you now, Lord, let us be shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves. Let us not become jaded and dark because of the harshness and the difficulties of this life. Let us not see people in the wrong way, but Lord, let us bless and not curse. Let us return good for evil. Let us be ones who show your love and your kindness in this dark world who are part of the solution and not part of the problem. Lord, help us to grab hold of shrewd, innocent, childlike faith. Bless us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.